it is very unusual for there to be complete quiet in the soul, for God almost continually whispers to us. And whenever the sounds of the world subside in our soul, we hear the whispering of God. Yes, he continues to whisper to us, but we often don't hear him because of the noise and distractions caused by the hurried pace of life. Does that seem to fit us today? That was written by Frederick William Faber, British theologian, June 28, 1814. Hurried pace of life in 1814. Stuff didn't come looking for them, right? Stuff comes looking for us, push notifications, things like that. When I was growing up, a push notification was the doorbell. It had nothing to do with our phone or computer or tablet. Right, And we fast forward a few years. Do you think life has sped up or slowed down since 1814? Sped up, right? More stuff to do, more choices. Like the great theologians, uh, the rock group Alabama. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, and I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. Now, I'll tell you, uh, what's the difference between Father Faber's 1814 and Alabama's New Century? Here it is. One, modern-day stress has increased with our accelerated pace of life, right? We feel like we're always behind just a little bit. And that's why somebody said the other day, Craig, what is the, um, what is the big uh, way to approach life? What is the way to really pull joy and happiness out of life? And here's my simple answer. Low expectations. Just lower those expectations, low expectations. Here's a quick example. On your way home today, expect every light to be red. Every light, right? You're like, that's my low, it's gonna be red. When you get a green one, oh, I am so fired up, I am excited. If you expect every light to be green and you hit a red one, oh, life is terrible, right? So I'm over, uh, obviously joking a little bit on the fact that you know low expectations, but our expectations manage how we feel a lot of times, right? So modern stress has increased with accelerated pace of life, and two, our modern technology has reduced the availability of recovery time. So for example, uh, when I was growing up, we had, we were forced to live life what was called end to end. Here's an example, right? 7.30 to 9 a.m., I'll give you an example of my mom's life. She would maybe make a phone call, and then it would end, why? Because, and for some of you younger guys, phones used to have a cord on them. Seriously, Google it, go into a museum, it used to have a cord. So you had to stop, you had to stop what you were doing. Then my mom would drive me to school. So she would start a phone call, then that would end, and then she would drive me to school. She would drop me off, then she would get to the office. Then she would start work. Then she would check her, um, let me how to say that, uh, mailbox. She had to walk down the hall and there would be a box with her name on it right there. She'd have her name and she would get mail. And I know this is weird too. It used to be paper. Seriously, paper mail. You had to open it. There were stamps on it. Google it. You'll see pictures, right? And so all of life, we were forced. We had no choice. We couldn't start a call in the kitchen and end it in the car. The technology wasn't available. So it took my mom 7.30 to nine to do four or five things. Well, today we can start a call, take our kids to school, answer mail, start work from 7.30 to eight. Everything has been compressed, and the reason for that is so for the next hour we can relax. 
right? No, what do we do? We cram more stuff in it. And you know what we label it? Productive, successful. So more choice, more choice has brought about more stress. Now, I want to talk today about this idea of learning how to stop. And for those of us that are type-driven, only children, charging ahead, firstborn, whatever it in us that is just innate driving us forward, the definition is to come to an end. The interesting thing is, yesterday I said we often change in life because we learn enough we want to or hurt enough we have to. Real quick example of the prodigal son, right? Dad, give me all my inheritance now. He goes, he blows it, and when he's eating with the pigs, the Bible says, and he came to himself. What does that mean? It means he had a stark vision of reality, and he had come to the end of himself. And really, once we come to the end of ourselves, once we stop, then we can begin again. It's an idea that Jesus brought in about redeeming or putting back or buying back, restoring. And I love that story. He came to himself. Now, when it comes to work-life balance, how do we stop? Because we literally can't stop, right? Because we have bills to pay. We have things that we like to do, right? And our self-worth a lot of times is built on kind of what we're contributing and reaching our potential. So I want to look real quick at what uh, the definition of life balance is, right? So you have this definition of balance, and I'll read it to you, but the idea is equilibrium. Balance as equilibrium, right? Here, here it is. Here's what uh, Webster says. Positioning of the center of gravity directly under what you are intending to balance. Equilibrium, but no standard or opposing value. So like a tightrope walker, right? As they walk across the tightrope, uh, they just try to put their center of gravity under that very thin rope, and by doing so, they are balanced, right? Maybe a seal balancing a ball on its nose or an elephant balancing on a ball in a circus. All definitions of this type of balance, equilibrium. Maybe you've ever tried to balance a, a, a broomstick in the palm of your hand or something smaller. That is this definition. And when it comes to work-life balance, I've even heard people talk about this is what we do. As long as we position our center of gravity under what is life, we can keep piling more and more stuff on, but we just have to make sure that we're centered. And I would suggest to you that is the wrong definition of balance. There is another definition of balance, and it involves this. It's the scales of justice. The scales of justice, you'll see it usually on every lawyer's card you meet, and if you Google it, you can kind of look up why that is, but the definition of the, uh, the other definition of balance is, has to do with weight, and here's what it says. An instrument for determining weight from each end, which is suspended a scale or pan, one holding an object of known weight, very important, of known weight, and the other holding an object to be weighed. In other words, there's a standard on one side and whatever is going to be weighed on the other. So in the old days, in the biblical days, what would happen is if somebody wanted a pound of corn, they would put a weight on one side. That was one pound. And then they would bring the corn in, and they would weigh it in the pan until balance was achieved. And they would say then, it's in balance. We have a pound here. And if you were to go home, or even if you're taking notes on an iPad or your phone or something today, if you Googled 
work-life balance, you will usually see something like this. You will see work on one side and uh, balance, actually, on the other side, not life. Uh, but you will have work and life, right? So work-life balance, work on one side, life on the other. See, I would suggest that this is not the right look. I think it's the right method. I think balance, the scales, a standard on one side. Here's what I think. I think it's time. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a shot in the dark here. I'm gonna make a prediction. I, I predict that everybody in here this next year has 24 hours in their day, seven days a week, 365 days in the year, amen? I think we all have that. That's where we're kind of equal. That is the standard. Life is on the other side. So when we say work-life balance, what we're really saying is time-life balance. And our time is set, just like the pound and the pound of corn being measured and weighed out. When it comes into balance, you know you are correct. Well, we all have 24 hours in our day. It's what we put on the other side that either balances us or sinks us. So most of us don't have to add to the one side. We have to remove from the one side. See, I think work is a subset of life. It's a big subset, don't get me wrong. Five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, hours a day. But that is a subset of life. Our standard is time, what we're gonna put into it. Remember we talked about seasons? Single, you can put more stuff you wanna do on that side. Single, no kids, then you're married, now you gotta take some stuff off. The time you used to hang out with the guys, do fun stuff or whatever it may be, now you have a responsibility, third season married with kids. Now you still have the same time, but that means you gotta kick some stuff off the one side of the pan that says life. Doing too much causes stress, increases hurry. So I think Work-life balance looks like this. I think time is our standard, and life is on the other side. Now, I'll tell you, I like to go fast. I like to drive fast. I like to talk fast. I like to move fast. I like to sit fast, and I don't even know what that means, but my mind's always running, right? Quick example, several years ago, I'm speaking in Virginia, right? And I have a few gift certificates. I'm gonna be honest with you. I have a few gift certificates from various uh, highway patrols in the country. And I have, I, have, I have gift certificates from seven states. I'm proud to say that, right? So I'm in Virginia, and in Virginia, I have two gift certificates from my friends there. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, they cheat there. They're, they cheat. Because they drive, they don't drive like police, like we know when they're coming. I got pulled over by a truck, a truck with a light on the top of it. I thought it was a joke. So here's the deal, we fly in, and I was meeting my team at this uh, place in Virginia where we were gonna be doing a conference. And so I got on the plane, I flew, I had my uh, regular bag and I had my golf bag. Because to be fair, you never know when God will call you to play. So I like to be prepared, right? You wanna be prepared. So I have my bag, golf bag, I've got my clothes. So we get to the airport, very small airport in Virginia, and we're waiting for the stuff. We're waiting for the luggage to come out. I don't like to wait. So I, I wanna fill that time. And so with modern technology, I start filling it, right? I'm on my phone, and, and I don't really have anything to do. I'm just, you know, doing stuff, because everybody else is doing stuff, and I want them to think that I'm doing stuff because I'm busy, right? So I'm doing, and then the luggage starts to coming out, right? And so my bag was first, the big, the, you know, golf. So I grab that, and right behind it, bag. So I grab it, 
And now I'm on the phone with somebody. I don't even remember who I was talking to. I didn't need to talk to anybody, but I wanted to talk to somebody because I was not doing anything and I wanted to fill it. So I'm in a hurry, I take my stuff, I open the rental car, I throw it in, still on the phone, hang up, I drive two and a half hours to the location. Get to the location, right? And uh, kind of get in and there's some of my team there and we talk for a second, but I left my bags by the door for just a minute, right? Just a minute. I check in, I turn around, I grab the bags, I go upstairs, I told a couple of the folks on my team, I said, hey, I'm gonna go up, I'm gonna change, quick shower, we'll go out and grab a bite to eat, right? We'll kind of hang out, no problem, great. So I do all that and I go to open my bag or what I thought was my bag. Same size, same color, same brand, same model. I set it up, felt like the same weight, unzipped it, opened it up and on the top, I'm not joking, a red dress, a red dress. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't remember packing that, okay? <laughs> I go, okay, okay, uh, clearly it's my bag. They must have done something, they're laughing downstairs, because I, I was away from my stuff. I wonder what they did to the golf bag. Did they take out some clubs, what'd they do? I moved the dress, red heels, all women's stuff. And I was thinking to myself, literally, how did they get all of my stuff out and put all of this in? I, it never occurred to me that I, in my hurry, grabbed the wrong bag. And so I looked at the bag tag, of course, it's not my bag. Hurry mistake number one. You'd think I learned. I call and I tell the airlines, listen, um, I grabbed the wrong bag, right? And the person said, let me connect you. I get to the other person and this person is upset. The baggage lady, she goes, do you have the bag? I said, yes. And I said, I'm really sorry. I picked it up. I was in a hurry. I, I wasn't in a hurry, but I made myself in a hurry because it made me feel good about myself to be in a hurry, right? Maybe some of you can identify. And so I explained to her that I'm two and a half hours away and she goes, well, you have the bag. I said, yeah. She goes, well, we have your bag here and the woman would like her bag back. And I said, that's fantastic. Um, you know, how can we do that? She goes, you need to leave and come back right now. I said, I, I can't do that. I'm two and a half hours away. I just drove. She goes, you're gonna have to come back now, sir. I said, I can't come back now. She said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And she tells me, you are in now possession You've acknowledged possession of a stolen bag. And I'm gonna report you to the police. And now, uh, there's always this low level sense of stress with people in a hurry, and, and the case was with me too. And so I get sarcastic. I said, great, when they come up to arrest me, send my bag, and then I will send this one back with them. <laughs> All good, okay. And then of course she gets upset because of the sarcasm. And uh, so they said, well, we can send a courier. Send the courier, great. They come up $390 to drive my bag three and a half, two and a half hours. They bring my bag, I give them my bag, $390 out the door. Mistake number two, it cost me, you'd think I learned, right? Oh no, I don't learn. Next day, as it turns out, God called us to play golf. It's amazing how it works. I'm like, we're in, we're in, we're playing this place called Wintergreen in Virginia. It's kind of up in the mountains. We're driving, we're late for the tea time. And I'm in a hurry to get things done and I rush and rush until life's no fun, right? So here we go and I'm driving down a two lane road and I'm going a little fast, but to be fair, it made sense. There's nobody on the road, right? I whiz past some Dodge or Ford truck with a light on it. I don't realize it till it's passed, but it looks like kind of a makeshift homemade 
you know, like fire engine police car. Well, I pass him, this guy pulls out. And he's chasing me, and I'm thinking, I'm not, you know, we're in the woods in Virginia. That's a little nerve-wracking, okay? I've seen movies, and I'm not, you know, okay? So I'm like, I gotta get to a place where at least there's people. And I had my buddy with me, we were golfing. And so I pull over, and he comes up, and he's got the hat and the chin and the glasses, and he goes, you know how fast you're going? And I go, yes, I, I do, because I'm on my way to golf, and you're slowing us down, $200, $200. So my hurry has cost me $590. I'm not great in math, but that's uh, more than I had at the time. So you would think I learned my lesson on that next day. I don't. We get on the golf course. We're playing golf. It's hole 11. It's a par five, right? So I hit my ball. It happened to be in the middle. It's rare for me, but it's in the middle. Then my next shot, do I go for it? Do I pull out the three wood? Do I go long or do I lay up? I laid up. I'll be honest with you. I was kind of hoping that I would have a good score. Well, it's right in front of a river. A, a ri well, it's a stream. It's, it's like five feet across, okay? But it's a river to me in California. So there it is. My ball positioned perfectly. I am a sand wedge from the green. Well, I get up and I hit the ball. Perfect shot on the green. I can't see and I can't see my buddy. It was cart path only this day. So he drops me off, I don't know, 150 yards from where I had to walk to. And I said, just go up to the green. I'll hop the stream. He goes on up. So I'm standing there, my ball's up there, and I've got my putter, a couple of clubs, you know, because you don't know which club, and I can't see my buddy, and I'm looking, and I realize that stream just is a little bit longer than I feel I can make, right? But we all have this thing, like we look and we go, my body says 40, right, or 20, but I'm 40, and it's not gonna work, and so I'm looking, and the reality is, if I would've just taken a little time, I could've walked over to the cart path, I could've walked up, I could have walked back over to the green, but the shortest distance, really, between two places is a straight line, right? So there's the stream, but I am kind of assessing the shortest gap, right? Where can I make it? Because if I get a running start, I probably spend five minutes. I could have walked around to the green, but now I'm going to conquer this thing. I'm going over, right? It's not going to beat me. And I realize there's just not a good spot. So I find a spot where there's water kind of going over a rock. The rock was not dry, but it was right, I mean, it was right there, a little bit splashing. So I'm looking, and I'm gonna give it a one, right? Like a rock go. Like I'm not gonna start and bust it. I'm gonna have one go. So I look at it, my buddy's not around, nobody's watching. Heaven forbid someone sees this. I step on the rock, and apparently, rocks that are underwater can accumulate a slick something. Very snotty. Feel. I hit that rock and my foot gone. And at that point, I realized it's over. What do I save, right? I got my clubs. I don't want those going in. That's going to cost me again. So I literally start falling back. I toss the clubs. I just like get them up, right? So two of them ended up on the right side and one still ended up on the side I started on. And I hit the water. And I'm like, great, right? just because I wouldn't pause, I wouldn't take a moment and walk around. I, I had to, to go over it and ended up in it. And then I had to go on the other side and get my club, and then I just forget it. I walked, walked through the river at that point because I'm already, and I'm walking up on the green, you know, whoosh, 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 whoosh. and my buddy Steve's like, what, what happened? You know what, shut up, okay? 
three times my hurry got me into problems. Three times. You would think I, I learned. And usually if I'm away or speaking, I'll call home. And this, my kids were younger. And uh, so I called home and I was talking to the kids and I talked to my wife first and I was talking to my son, Alec. And there's a reason when he got older, we called him Smart Alec uh, because he's very sarcastic in the way uh, he probably, which I love. And um, so I'm talking to him on the phone and I think he was about six or seven at the time. And he said, um, uh, yeah, dad, so you know, how is it? I said, great, hey buddy, I'm gonna bring you home a little present. Uh, are you sure? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure, why? Uh, why would you ask that? And he says to me, he goes, well, mommy said that you're making bad choices. I said, let me talk to mommy. The reality was, five, six, seven hundred dollars later, I still don't learn my hurry lesson. I don't understand stop, stop, right? And so in any language, slow down, think ahead, open up, pause often. Slow down, think ahead, open up, pause often. Those are the four key ingredients that helped me bring my life in the stop. 